As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's episode of the podcast is brought to you in part by ThisIsBracketRacing.com. At ThisIsBracketRacing, our goal is to help racers just like you take one step, however small or big that step may be, toward becoming the best version of yourself on the racetrack. One of the resources that we use to do that is a bi-monthly email that we call the Elite Insider. These are five-minute videos designed to A, help you take that next step in some small regard toward becoming the best version of yourself on the racetrack, and B, to provide a brief glimpse at what it's like inside our premier membership community, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. You get a, a brief look at what our members experience every single day. The best part, this regular email is 100% free. Sign up today by visiting thisisbracketracing.com slash elite insider. That is, this is bracketracing.com slash elite insider. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. All right, as part of our interview series over the winter months, uh, we've tried to continue to pick interesting guests, and the one we have with us tonight certainly fits that bill to a T. He's, uh, he's a guy that, that has a unique view of sportsman drag racing uh, from every angle possible, and it's very uh, exciting to, to be able to bring his story and his information to you tonight. 
Johnny DeBartolomeo is uh, with us. Johnny D., uh, it's great to have you take some time out and, and join us on the show to chat Sportsman Drag Race, and we appreciate you giving us some time tonight. No, I appreciate you calling and, and asking. I'm I'm really excited about it. So, well, good. That's uh, that's pretty rare. Usually, folks just want this over with when they're on our <laughs> podcast. <so. laughs> good to hear you're excited. Yeah, no, no, I enjoy it. I enjoy. It. I, you know what? I enjoy talking drag racing. That's what I've done my whole life. So. Yeah, we'll we'll talk plenty about that, and that, that's been decades long. But I always like to, to let the listener know where where we're talking to you from, and, and typically this it's from home, but currently you've shared with us pre-show that you are in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is not home, but uh, no, you're there tonight. Yeah, I mean, it's home to my son, uh, his wife, and, and my first grandson. So I had come down here to visit some people, and and I spend I, I spend quite a bit of time coming down here. So it's it's really enjoyable, and I haven't seen my grandson since Thanksgiving because of all of the mess that we have in this world today. And and I just I needed to get out of the house. Is basically what it amounted to. <laughs> and the house is where Johnny D. Beaver Springs, Pennsylvania. If you threw a a, a, a if you threw a dart. To the middle of Pennsylvania, it's Beaver Springs Dragway right there. I live about a quarter mile away from the track, and uh, it's it's awesome. a pretty interesting place. Quiet Amish farmland, um, but cold. I, <laughs> I imagine it is pretty cold up there in the heart of Pennsylvania. It's a it's a beautiful place. It's uh, that's not big city living in that part of Pennsylvania. That is the 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 pretty part of the state for sure. It is. It's it's quiet. It's. Uh, I mean, I have a. I got a. We have thirteen acres there, and nobody bothers you. I mean, it's it's definitely not big city at all. I mean, I grew up in the city, New York City, and uh, I mean, this is this is nowhere near it. I don't know how I could ever go back to living in a city. I could tell you that much. <laughs> I'm sure. So. John, I, I spoke about it in the intro, but you've got a very unique view of sportsman drag racing. You're a media member. You're an on-track racer with, with a lot of accomplishments as a driver. But you have covered or participated in this sport for, and I'm not certainly trying to not make you feel old here, but you've done it for a long time. How long? Uh, I've been drag racing since 72. Two, I guess. Um, you know, I probably didn't get hot and heavy into it until '74, '75, something like that. I mean, I won the very first bracket finals that was the NHRA bracket finals that was ever run, and that was 1976 in York, Pennsylvania. Wow. Um, so, I mean, it's. I, I yeah, I guess I've been doing it a while. Tell me, so. Let's just, I didn't have that as part of my interview questions, but so you won that very first bracket final. It was 1976. What was it like then, John? Was it, Oh. you know, when I started, I started in 84, and we would make five, six, seven time runs, every how many we could get, and then we'd dial it down two from its fastest one because you couldn't break out. That was just cardinal yeah. rule. could break out. So what was it like where you were in the 70s? No, it was... It was pretty much like what we have today. I mean, we didn't necessarily dial down two, but I mean, we didn't hold, 
we didn't hold a nickel or anything, but I mean, we held and, you know, sometimes you dial on us and it, like it is today, it just depended on who you were going to race. If you had to race a fast car, I mean, my car back then ran 1130s, 1150s, something like that. Um, but of course, bear in mind that I won what was called pro eliminator, which included super pro. In other words, we didn't have super pro then pro eliminator was the fastest class. Um, there was only three classes contested there that first year, pro heavy and street. And I don't even think, no, it wasn't even bike. It was pro heavy and street. And that was it. Um, so, I mean, there were instances where my 1150 car, I had to race some nine second dragsters, but that was far and few between you. You didn't have you obviously did not have the dragsters, the fast cars like we have today. I mean, probably the fastest, I think if I remember correctly, I think the fastest car at the bracket finals was a 910, 920 car. Um, and, I, and I think it was an altered. But it, it was everything was pretty much the same as it is today. There's, there isn't much difference in bracket racing. 45 years ago, Johnny D, <laughs> that 910 <laughs> was getting after it, son. That was rolling. I mean, I, I would think it that's is. about what my car would go now. It's a 580 car. I would think somewhere yeah, around that 910. Right. You're so, right. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, it would be. 45 but, years yeah, ago, I was yeah. scratching out pretty good. Yeah, no, it, it was. You know, I mean, like I said, I, I, I think uh, I had to race Jimmy Rainey in the final round. He had a Vega, and I think... If I remember correctly, he was dialed a 10-something, 1080, 1050-something like that. And I, I was in the 1150 range, something, you know. And uh, you just uh, – honestly, I I don't remember, you know, what did we really hold a lot or, or – I, I know we drove the finish line. That that was like – that was drilled into my head, you know, back then. That That's what you did. You drove the finish line, just like you do today. Um, a very good friend of mine who kind of, it was two people really, I could say were mentors in my drag racing days. Um, one of them, he had a Chevy two, And I remember we went to Island Dragway one time and we had to race each other at one point. And I think I was probably 1150 car. He was a 12, 1220, something like that. And he came to me and he says, Hey, why don't we do this? He says, let's lay our time slips out on the table, our time runs. And he says, and we'll dial up a 10th from our best time run. I said, okay, no problem. So now, you know, you're holding a 10th. And I remember I'm chasing him and I'm coming up on him and I'm watching him in my, uh, I'm watching him ahead, and he kept looking back. He's looking back to see where I was, see where I was coming. And, and of course, the whole race is played out right in front of me. And I remember I, I thought to myself, you know what? He's going to have to turn his head back to see where the finish line is at any second. And as soon as he turned his head back to, to, to see where the finish line is, I slammed on a brake pedal. And, of course, he ran out. And, and, and so... <laughs> You know, he came back cussing at me and stuff, but we had a good time. That's incredible, for especially for the era that it was. That was uh, you guys were way ahead of your time from a driving or strategy <laughs> standpoint. I mean, you really were. Again, I started in the mid '80s here in Alabama, and there there was no such thing as that, and people didn't even play around that way. But I think you guys, from a technology standpoint and a, a 
I guess, a strategy standpoint in that area, probably were a little more advanced than most of the country. And still today, some of the, the best drivers in the sport are from that area. But I, Johnny D, I mean, even even that scenario that you just laid out, that, that how that sounds like something somebody would do today, could you have ever imagined even as much change as you've seen in the sport since the early 70s, could you ever have imagined what it would what it looks like today, that being a possibility? We went to a big bracket race in Xenia, Ohio, Kilcare Dragway, back in, oh, it had to be 78, 79. And there happened to be a, a top alcohol dragster there running, and I want to say he was dialed 6, 10, whatever. And we thought to ourselves, there is no way in hell you're gonna, you can bracket race a car going that fast. Can't be. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And that's what we got today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they haven't, some of them, a lot of them having to slow them down to go 610. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, you know, it, I mean, it's, it's changed. It really has, but it's still drag racing. It's still, you know, it's not necessarily first to the finish line, but it's, you know, you still got to drive the finish line just like you did any other time. Um, and I think, I know for a fact that your brain has a tendency to pick up to speed. I used to do some work for the Doug Foley drag racing school and we would get a lot of students come in and, you know, we would try to explain to them what they're doing, what you how to race and whatnot. And we'd tell them, you know, okay, you're going to run a hurt and 60 mile an hour over the cars that we had. And, and they would look at you like, you know, you had two heads on, but you know, we'd explain to them that I don't care whether you're going, 50 mile an hour on a highway or 150 mile an hour down a drag strip. Your mind is an incredible computer that just picks up to the speed you're going. I mean, it, 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 you can make judgment calls, you know, yourself. I mean, when we see some of these finish lines that are showing up with guys racing really fast cars, that's on, it's almost unbelievable. I, I yeah. have a hard time fathoming. Uh, we're measuring to a thousandth of a second. You can't even blink your eyes in a thousandth of a second. So I, it just, it's unbelievable that, that we can do things that, that are being done today. It really is. Uh, there's obviously a ton of talent out there, but some of it, as you said, I, I think is just um, good timing as much as anything on somebody, on, on some of these drivers part. I mean, can they see the four, five, six, seven thou or whatever they're trying to take? They can, but at the same time, if they took 12 versus six, which is twice as much, they probably couldn't tell you the difference. So I think it's a lot of it's just good timing, you know, where they, uh, how they approach another car or have another car approaching them. I think they're, they're just a victim of, or I say a victim, they're a product of their mind as you just stated, being able to run as fast as the car is running. So you're processing because your mind processes what your eyes see and yep. your mind has to speed up and run as fast as what your eyes are seeing. Some of them are just very good at that. There are. And, and you know, it. I don't know, maybe I don't like to think I'm getting older because I'm never going to admit to that. But, um, I, you know, I think. <laughs> The younger kids have an easier time, you know, picking out that 
two or three thousand at the finish line than you know somebody that's older. I mean, again, I mean, I'll never admit to it, but I will tell you that you know the younger ones. I know that when I pull at a starting line now, you know what's going through my head is everyday life okay who do i owe money to who owes me money did i pay this bill did i you know and and sometimes i think that the the younger guns as we call them uh they pull it a start line they got nothing going through their heads god bless them (laughs) yeah there's probably a a heck of a lot to that and you talked about never admitting to getting older but how and if I, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but you just told our listeners that basically you're you're almost 50 years of on track racing. So obviously you've had a birthday or two. What age are you, John D? I'm 67 years old. Now um, I don't typically tell the listener this. Okay, this is obviously <laughs> recorded, but you're damn good looking, 67 years old. I mean, thank you, thank you. I mean, you've held up thank well, you. and I've I've seen all the steps you walk, so I imagine that's a that's a huge benefit to I, keeping yourself healthy. I, I I think I take a lot of vitamins. I, I've been doing that for for a long, long time. Uh, thank God, I'm I, I think I'm in pretty good health. Um, but I, and you know maybe that's you know, we get back to this virus thing that's going around here that everybody seems to be so enamored with anymore. But I, I think that if you if you're half-ass healthy, I, I think you'll do okay. And and I I think that I'm I'm half-ass healthy. All right. Now that being said, and I've said this for a long time that you know should I get this virus next week, my whole outlook on this might change. But for right now, I'm not giving into it. Well, I love the attitude there. That's uh, that's definitely the right approach. And uh, I don't know if I've ever heard half-ass and healthy put together, but you know, I love it. I love what you're saying there. <laughs> so, John D, let's let's talk about your national event wins. You've got seven of those as a driver and three as a car owner. But it's interesting to me, and and it's happened a few times in the last few years to where I didn't even know you were competing in a certain event, and Come Sunday evening or Monday, if that was the case, I look up yeah. the results, and there's John DeBartolomeo holding the wallet. <laughs> so it isn't like you're out here chasing points on the circuit. You know, you get very limited opportunities. But even at this age, and you're not old, but you're older than, a, than the typical age of the winner, how do you just flip the switch to championship caliber driver like that? You, I mean, your seat time's so limited, yet you get out there and compete with people that do this you know, 30, 40, 50 times a year. Thank the Lord above. I'm lucky. That's the only thing I can, uh, I can say, ah. no, I don't get a chance to race that often. Um, you, you know, I, the last, in the last couple of years, you know, I, I really, I would like to get back behind the wheel more and and I'm very well might this year with some new things that are coming down the pike for me. Um, but I mean, for the most part, Typically, when I go to a national event, an NHR national event, I'm there to 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 work. I'm there to cover it for a race or or whatnot. And and if I don't have any help at that race, I can't race. So I'll put my son or my daughter in the car and and they'll race. But uh, I, I I don't know. I I've always I guess you could say I'm a multitasker. I, I can. I can do three and four jobs at the same time, although I will admit that 
you know, lately it seems like I'll still do the three and four jobs, but maybe only two of them might come out right. Um, <laughs> you know, it just kind of kind of gets that way sometimes, you know. But uh, you know, I've just, I honestly, I've been lucky. I, I've, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. I, I've, well, I've got a, I got a great family. Uh, my wife Dot, you know, she really supports us um, a lot. My son, my daughter, they all help. Um, I had a, I had a car owner or I had a partner that I dealt with for a long time, and he passed away two years ago unex- unexpectedly. He was a great help to us. Um, so I, I just, I don't know what to say. I really don't know what to say. Well, that's a very humble answer that you gave. Um, you know, everybody that's that's holding the trophy or the check at the end of the day or weekend is, has had their share of luck because this sport requires some of that. But, again, you, you've driven extremely well, and given your limited opportunities, it's very impressive what you've been able to accomplish on the track, especially in recent years where your, your on-track opportunities – continue to be very limited and maybe even getting more so each year yet you still find ways to turn on those wind lights and uh, very impressive in your own right as a driver but you know you talked about your family and I imagine it's just ingrained in you guys because I know how competitive your son is now I haven't got to see your daughter race. <laughs> that's that's putting it. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> but I I think that I would say that you're just you're probably ultra competitive yourself, which your family feeds off of. You just do it a different way. I, I think there's probably something to that. Uh, but I, everything I've seen you do, you try to do to the max, and I, I imagine racing is no different. So I would say Frankie D has uh, has learned how to be competitive from you but as far as watching your children race and competing you you just seem to have a little different approach than frank so what do you how do you coach him how do you or do you just say you know what just go ahead and be upset aggravated for a few minutes and move on or do you do you try to help him uh, not that he's he doesn't go crazy. I don't want the listener to think that I'm I'm building this up the oh, wrong no, way. No, but I'm he just does. Saying, but he does. <laughs> he, he's just very very competitive, and he's got a his fire gets lit quickly. Yet you seem to be just the opposite. How do you how do you deal with that as a as a teacher of the game, John? Um, I, I don't I don't know. I I, I guess I take. I, I guess I have to say that that I'm pretty competitive. I, I might not maybe come out and show it, but I, I don't, I don't like losing. I don't like losing no matter what I do. Um, there have been instances where wrenches and other things have flown through my pit area or through the, the trailer <laughs> because you get, you know, it gets, it gets, I, I grew up as a very, I, I don't want to say timid, but I mean, I grew up very, you know, easy childhood so to speak and when i got to high school i joined a wrestling team and i had a coach there coach tammany which i'll I'll never forget and he instilled on us how fired up you had to get to wrestle and that kind of has stuck with me my whole life it really has um i don't 
my son tends to really get fired up. Um, if you if you ever watched him in the car, you could you see how he does. I don't get like that. I'm a little more calmer, but you know when the wind light doesn't come on in your lane, it's it doesn't set well with either one of us. So <laughs> I, yeah, there, well, there's nothing to teach. There, there. You know, I mean, I've tried. You know, him and I talk a lot, obviously, and and um, matter of fact, I coached him when he when he wrestled in, in grammar school, I coached his wrestling team, but it just, it's something that, that you got to kind of live it for yourself and, and you got to do it your own way. He gets very fired up on the starting line. I don't tend to get that way. Um, but that's not to mean that it's wrong. Neither one is wrong. Yeah. My daughter is different. If my daughter, my, my daughter is different. You know, I, I, I've had a, I say a hard time, but I don't necessarily mean a hard time. My son is the kind of person that if he did the burnout and he's backing up from the burnout and I saw something on the track or I saw the guy in front of him do something, run out, whatever, I could walk up to the car, stick my head in the cage and tell him, hey, uh, put an extra one in the delay box or take this out or do this or do that. And he would just, he would do it. He just, you know, he, I guess he maybe, for lack of a better term, he respects what I'm about to tell him. My daughter, on the other hand, is totally different. Once she pulls into the water box, God forbid you even go up and talk to her. Um, that's just the way she is. So, you know, it's it's kind of hard for me sometimes to to switch back and forth between the two of them. But you do it. You, you do it. Uh, you've obviously learned uh, to handle that well. Um, so no, I haven't. No, I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I love your transparency, Johnny D. You you own and operate DRC Race Products again. Just another uh, another area of racing that you have a view of uh, from the the supplier side. Tell us about DRC Race Products and what a racer can come to you for. We've been manufacturing products for, for race cars since 80, 81, something like that. Um, we started out with some small stuff. Now, the basis of our stuff, we manufacture all the valve spring removal tools for gesso and comp cams, and plus we retail them on our own, obviously. Um, engine cradles that we do for a lot of the pro stock teams, um, and so on and so forth, and, and just other engine builders. Uh, we've just got a couple of, of products that we do ourselves, and it, it keeps us it keeps us fairly busy. Um, when I took over the magazine back in 2001, 2002, I knew I wasn't going to be able to spend a lot of time in the shop, and I, I needed a high. I had another person working for us, but I needed somebody who I could really count on that knew how to do things and. We were also doing a lot of race car work at that point, um, and, and I hired a, a, a gentleman, I say a kid, really, because he was at that point, but uh, we all know who he was, it's Danny Northrup, and Danny came in, and, and Danny was probably the best employee I've ever had, um, you know, so, I, I mean, and that worked out, because it allowed me to, to now go in the office and spend time working on the magazine, and so on and so forth, so... Um, but we, we haven't done race we, since we moved to Pennsylvania, 
in 2003, I think, or 2004, we haven't brought in a lot of race car work. Um, it's mostly just our products. Yeah, so basically you're saying that you've got the things that guys in crisis at the track always run around trailer to trailer looking for when all they got to do is just really come to you and, and purchase one and get it in the trailer so they've got it when they yeah. need it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've we've always carried we've always carried a not a full line, but we've always had a pretty decent line of products in our trailer. Uh, our automotive products we carry all their fuel pumps and whatnot. Plus, I've got a welder in the trailer. We we do a lot of welding at the races. Um, we used to do a whole lot more when cars broke more than they do now. Um, so I mean, it, it pretty much if you're if you if our trailer is at a race. Um, we generally might have exactly what you need. If you just said that, trying to get me to talk about welding up a, a dragster chassis at the track, you can forget it. I'm not interested <laughs> in that discussion. <laughs> but if somebody's in the need, funny you is, do always the, have the, a welder. The, we, can, we can do that. Yep, we can do it. And, and the funny thing, the, the funniest person I always enjoyed doing work for was Danny Bastinelli because Danny had that flyweight, uh, car with the the half body panels. And we always used to go to Florida, and and that car would always crack and whatnot. And, and one year, Danny comes to me and he goes, "I'm bringing your whole front end now." He said, "So if we crack something in the front, we're just going to front half the whole car right there at the races." So. <laughs> yeah, well, again, I, I don't want to be part of that discussion, but it does <laughs> it does sound like an option somebody will will need and use at some point. So, Again, another unique angle that you have or unique view that you have, you do a, a weekly blog about a subject related to racing. It's not always something on track, but it's definitely racing related. Tell us about the blog. I basically, we discussed it off air and, and I, I was asking you what is the title and you said right now it's just the blog. So tell us about the blog and, and what types of things we'll see and read about and where we find it yeah we uh i mean all a person needs to do it it goes out once a week on wednesdays uh, and all a person and and we have a pretty broad audience that goes out to but i mean if somebody's out there and doesn't get my blog right now it's very simple you need to send me an email uh at john d at drcraceproducts.com and we'll get you right on the list the blog started about two years ago, I guess, uh, and really, it came about because I enjoy writing. I, I really do. Um, so I thought, you know, it'd be cool to really just write once a week, write a little, and it's my thoughts. They're all my thoughts. Um, they could be on anything. I mean, this week in, this week's blog, I wrote about uh, times when my son was, I called it cheating but I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Um, pushing the rules, pushing the rules was, was really the, the basis of it. But I mean, it was a time when my son was quarter midget racing and we, uh, yeah, I made some changes to the car that didn't really set well with the tech inspectors at that point, but it, it's just little things like that. I mean, I've talked about problems in the sport. I've talked about things that I'd like to see done in the sport and it just, like I said, I enjoy writing, so it, it just kind of, the words just kind of flow out of my fingers onto the, the computer type, you know, keyboard. 
<laughs> well, again, it's it's. I'm sure a lot of that is a, a product of your unique view of racing. I I imagine a lot of different things uh, initiate your topics for your blog. Maybe a phone conversation you've had with a with an old friend or something you read online. But it's a very interesting blog with. Uh, I love the way you tease the the lead in, so it, it gets somebody. To, interested in you know clicking on there and seeing what it's all about but to the listener if you just want something fun to read and a a guy that's got a great view of all areas of our sport definitely uh, send john the email uh, john d at drcraceproducts.com and get yourself on the distribution list of that blog you you definitely don't want to miss that And, and a lot of the sites and things that we look at john on a, a daily or weekly basis is on your distribution list. So that, that blog is easy to find in other areas, but if somebody wants to guarantee they get it, they can just go to that uh, email address and, and get locked in on your list. Yeah, we will. I mean, if, if you're already on our list, that's, you know, it, it, it get kicked. It only goes to you once. I mean, it, it would, it would kick back and tell me, okay, you know, so-and-so is already on the list. So, but I mean, you're right. It's, it's, things that I've talked about, people that, that call me up and we have a conversation. Last week, we called it about bingo, and we, we had somebody make up a bingo card with all the NHRA national events on it, and, and Scott Hall from Moroso Performance gave me the idea. He said, hey, we need to have a bingo game, you know, and, and every time they cancel an event or, or postpone an event, you know, you, you mark it on your bingo card, and let's see who wins. So, you're right. I mean, it's it's just things that we see all the time, and I, I get a kick out of sometimes, but more than anything else, I enjoy writing. I really do. Well, that's obvious. Uh, you, you have covered the sport like not many other people in the history of the sport. Uh, for Your media career is how old now in relation to, to sportsman drag racing? How'd that I, start? When did I that start? That started back in in eighty, the mid eighties, and and how it really started. I, I got started by the late Steve Collison um, of Superstock and Drag Illustrated fame. Um, him and I had become friends over the years, and one thing led to another. And and he asked me. He said, "You." I said something about, "I I think I can write," and I think he he asked me, "Well, you think you can write? Go ahead, write the story." And I wrote the story. And he liked it, and I wrote it with no other with no other thing in mind other than to just get my point across. And a couple of weeks later, I got a check, and I thought to myself, "Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute! They're going to pay me to do this?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it well, just grew, and it just grew from there. That's some good motivation right there to get a check for it. Um, share your opinion. <laughs> it always and... <laughs> is, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so, you know, you're again, you you're a guy that's covered our sport. You you've covered the the big go many many times. You know the 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 NHRA events that you've been to, which those are I don't even know maybe in the thousands at this point. Uh, but you're also like you've you've done uh, the media work for our World Footbreak Challenge in Bristol for the last several years. Uh, you do the flings. Uh, you know I've worked with you in Vegas. I've worked with you in Galat and everywhere in between feels like. Uh, I mean, what 
keeps you obviously there's a there's a you know a certain pay that goes along with it but you still have to have some interest what what's kept you doing it this long john with all the change in this sport and the the full schedule that you've had for literally decades what keeps you going i i still believe that the bracket racers i'm a bracket racer that that's where i came from that's the world i i grew up in and i still believe that the bracket racers do not get the the notoriety that they deserve especially in today's world where you know i mean last year we had two races that paid a million dollars to the winner uh, it was not a million dollar as you know not a million dollar purse it was a million dollars that went to the winner um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I mean, there isn't a drag racer alive that has made that kind of money for winning one race. And and that's always been my goal, to, to give the bracket racers the due that they deserve. Because I think that they're every bit, I know they're every bit as good a driver as any professional racer out there. I mean, I've talked to some professional racers, and, and some have told me flat out, that you know, if if you stuck a bracket racer in in a top fuel car, he would get acclimated quickly than if you were to stick a top fuel driver into a bracket car. Um, bracket yeah. racers, they're just they're right. I mean, they're just they're great drivers. They really are. And and I really believe that if something is missing, and I've I've said this for a long time that you know they they need to be brought in to the top of the to the food chain they they need to get that notoriety like i said two races last year a two two racers got a million dollars to win that race last year to win those two races I, I mean that that to me that's amazing that's what needs to be promoted yeah it's incredible what the, is, is available to the the big buck bracket racer these days and you know you have done a fantastic job of of spotlighting that and highlighting the top performances within these big events. But, um, you know, I've also seen your uh, sportsman spotlight or, or racer spotlights that you've done on just interesting people within the sport, not necessarily, but just because of their wind lights. Maybe it was a cool car. Maybe it was a cool story. Maybe it was both. But, you know, you've also done a wonderful job of just, picking out interesting people uh, at the events that you've covered and doing a spotlight on them. It, those are as fun to see to me as anything. You know, I, it's really cool to highlight the people that are performing well and getting huge checks. But, you know, the guy that's out there and poured his heart and soul into his car, trying to make it cool or unique, and, you know, he's got a great story. You've done a wonderful job of putting those people in the 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 reader's view. Well, thank you. I, 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 I'm humbled to hear you tell me that. Uh, I, I really am because to me, you know, the, the cars are not always the stars. And I think that there's so many drivers out there that are worthy of stories because they've got such a backstory themselves to tell. Um, you know, we just, we, we did a, we did a story on uh, what's his name, Patrick Bowen, who's 
I guess he's not a paraplegic. I don't, I don't remember what you would call him, but he's in a wheelchair. Um, yeah. You know, Jared, I think you know who he is. And, and no, Patrick, well, you know, here's a guy, right? He's got such a great story and he's just such a great person. And, and okay, he's got a nice car. I mean, it, it, it's a car that, that Maddox built and it's got the uh, trick little seat that raises in and out of the dragster. And yeah, but what amazed me too is, is, you know, his father, it's a family thing. I mean, his father goes with him and his father has to lift him in and out of the car. But the kid has such a, such a great attitude towards life. And, and that, that's the cool stories. It's not so much, you know, people will call us up or me up or, or whatever. And they'll say, you know, I, I got a really cool car. You know, how can you do a story on my car? I can, but everybody's got a cool car. What's your story? There's got to be some backstory to to what you're doing, and and that to me is more the story than the car. Yeah, well said. And and the Patrick Bowens of the world are are everything good about this sport. You know, no offense to the Scotty Richardsons and Hunter Pattons and Steve Siscos and and those guys, uh, but if you just depended on the people that are performing at a super high level and uh, winning tons throughout the year to keep the races going, the races would fail. It's the Patrick Bowens of the world that are continuing to keep these races successful. And as you said, he doesn't live and die by the, the wind light. I mean, it's just a guy that has a, gets a thrill every time he goes down the racetrack. And, and those stories have to be rewarding to you as well, John, to get to tell. They they are, they really are. And, you know, one of the things I started a long time ago was that whenever we do a story on somebody, I'll always, before the story ever gets printed or even goes to our art department, I'll always send the story back to who we did it on. And and more so because of the fact that I've had stories written about me that, for lack of a better term, I got burned on. The story was wrong when it came out. And, and I swore when I took over that I wasn't going to do that. I wanted to send it back to the person to make sure I wanted that person to be as happy with seeing his name or his story in print as I was in writing it. Um, and I, I've always done that. I've done that with our tech stories also. Um, I want to make sure that for lack of a better term, I call, if I call something a widget, a widget instead, it should be a wadget. Uh, I, I just want to make sure that, that, that everybody's on the right page. And like I said, I mean, I, I want people to be proud. We did that story on Patrick Bow and it, and he was over the top with it. I mean, he's just, it, even to this day, he still texts me every once in a while just to make sure I'm having a great day. You know, it, yeah. it, it, it's just, that's the kind of person he is. Yeah. As, as he's just pure gold. Uh, John D you, you, go to a lot of big races again from the u.s nationals to the biggest events within bracket racing are the big races good for the sport are they bad for the sport uh, somewhere in between what what's your take on that uh, you know i had an interesting conversation today with wade brown at brown and miller racing solutions over here in charlotte or over in car concord actually but we talked about the same kind of thing in that I, I think, I think that the NHRA obviously is at the tip of the pyramid. Um, 
but I think they also need they're they're lacking a little bit in bringing up the little guys. And I think the little guys, I know the little guys are the people who who keep this sport going. Um, I, I, I somewhat, I, I like the idea of these big money bracket races. I think they're, they're doing great, but by the same token and not to step on anybody's toes or anything, or tell somebody that they're doing something wrong, but I think they're, it's quite possible that they could be hurting the local events somewhat. Um, and, and I, and I look at it like this, you know, a guy could go to Beaver Springs Dragway and, and I don't know what the entry fee is there, 50, 60 bucks a week, you know, and race for a grand or whatever he races for. Sometimes you got to look at it and go, you know, do I really, maybe if I save that 50 or 60 bucks and save it up for a month or so, I can go to the WFC or any other big bracket race and, and, you know, put a little more money in for the entry fee, but I'm racing for so much more money. So I think that may to a point hurt the local tracks somewhat in the last year, we've seen a number of tracks close up, um, English town for one, which is a biggie Atco might be going, uh, we lost Richmond dragway in Virginia, Chances are we might lose Atlanta, um, you know, so on and so forth. So, but I still think that it's good for the sport. I think that, I think that if, if NHR is at the top, I, I think they need to look at what's happening down below and say, well, what can we do to help them out? What can we do to make the WFC bigger? What can we do to make the spring fling bigger? Um, and I'm not sure that they're, Maybe they got too much on their plate. I'm sure that they got too much on their plate now. Um, but I think everyone has to look to the future to, to see what's going. <clears throat> Excuse me. This year alone, we've got three big races that are paying big money for super stock stock eliminator cars. Um, based on the fact that these promoters, I think, have looked at what NHRA has done and not much has changed for NHR. Not much has changed in NHR racing for the last 30 years. If anything, it, it's gotten worse. I mean, I can remember, I don't remember exactly, but the first national event I won in 1984, I seem to remember walking away after all the checks came in with $25,000. The last national event I won in two years ago at Norwalk, I mean, you're hard pressed to, to walk away with six or $7,000. Um, so yeah. it's, it's going backwards, you know, it's, um, while the cost so, I mean, is but continuing I, to rise at an alarming rate. It is, it has. I mean, back then I think the entry fees were in the, the hundred dollar range for a national event. I mean, now they're $330, uh, or $340, I think this year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and everything goes up, fuel goes up, uh, hotel, we, we say hotel bills, but I mean, a lot of people have motorhomes nowadays, but I mean, every, the cost goes up and, and yet the money goes down. Now, should we be racing for the money? Yeah, maybe not. Um, there's a very few bunch of us and, and sometimes I'm lucky enough, <laughs> but there's a very few bunch that are able to, to make a living and put food on our table from racing. Um, 
So, I mean, it, sometimes we look at the money, but maybe it shouldn't always be about the money. Yeah, that's well said. And I, I agree with most everything you said there. And, and the big races are important because it's, you know, brought a whole new level of awareness to our sport and it gets people excited. But as racers, I think, it, you know, a lot of that responsibility is on us to not let these replace Saturday night fun at the local drag strip. So I think, uh, you know, the, the people that chase these large events don't lose sight of how important it is to keep, to help keep your local track open and attend those races there every opportunity you get. And, you know, if you, if you can attend, you know, call a, call a friend that might not be able to go because they, they didn't, you know, they wasn't financially able to swing it this week and try to help them get there. I just think it's, you know, it's easy for the people that are chasing these big money events to forget about how they got there. And we all got there the same way. And I'm not a, a big event chaser. I just meant all racers, even on the high level, have got there the same way. We all competed on Saturday night at our local track and uh, we all you know, had a time in our life where we really didn't care what it was paying to win. We just like to go race. So, you know, I, I challenge everyone on the big scene to not forget that, you know, it, it'd be cool to see a, a Troy or Gary Williams competing at a local Saturday night race. Uh, you know, a Luke Bogacki, he's my partner, but, uh, it'd be good to see him do that. The Hunter Pattons, the, the Steve Cisco's, those guys, they need to, they need to make sure they attend some local events too and support those just, you know, to, to try to help keep those tracks open. It's, it, you know, it, it's no different than in this day and age or in this past year, at least we've all tried to help out the local businesses rather than, you know, uh, shopping at the, the Lowe's and the Home Depot's and I have nothing against them, obviously, but I mean, you know, it's nice to be able to support the mom and pop hardware stores. Uh, we've got a, we have a, a, a chain store downtown by us. And, and we also have a little mom and pop grocery store down there. And I, I got to tell you that, you know, when I need something, when, when you need some groceries, I always go to the mom and pop store rather than go to the chain store, because I want to see the mom and pop store survive. It's, you know, that's, that's the one thing that has, I think, turned out good out of all of the bad, so to speak, uh, we've had over the past year. And it works the same at the racetracks, too. Sure. You need, we need to support those local tracks. Yeah, very very good advice. And uh, I like the, the supporting the local businesses approach as well. It's, it's something I've tried to definitely do through the pandemic. So, Johnny D, the last question before we we land this thing and and descend to the ground. Um, you're don't you're say again descend to the ground. I, I have to get on an airplane on Friday. <laughs> don't see it. Just... Well, there be tires on you. So. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. Uh, uh, so everything you've done in the sport and done it at a high level and and with a lot of success, I don't think promoting a race is part of that list. Have you ever considered that putting on your own event? Yes, yes, I have. Yeah, we actually, I guess, early last year, my wife and I talked about putting on a practice tree race over the winter, over the winter 
time. But of course, we all know what this winter has brought us um, with the problems. So we kind of kind of gave that idea up. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's a bucket list item, I guess. And I'm not one for making bucket lists, but uh, that might be on one someday. Okay, so there there could be a new venture for for you and uh, the family and and uh, I, I, I I I you know I I do have a lot of things on my plate as I said to you you know I, I'm a multitasker I'll, I'll do three and four jobs at one time and um I'm you know as I said I'm I'm, I'm not a bucket list type of person um. While I go to a race and I feel I have as good a chance to win as anyone else has that there, um, I don't necessarily go there with the attitude like, I'm winning this weekend. I I, I just I go, I do the best that I can, and, and the chips fall where they fall. If they fall in the winner's circle, that that's great. Um, I, I've just been – I've had a – uh, I've had a great life. I've had a great life. I'm not ready to give it up, obviously, but, uh, I, I've been, I've been lucky. Thank God. I, I, you know, people say, well, I, I give all the glory to God and I do too. Um, because I don't know where I would be any other place. Um, I can tell you that without my wife, my wife is, is my number one cheerleader. Um, if anyone is to blame, for us being, if, if there's a blame to be had, if there's anyone to blame for us to be in a position we're in today, it's, it's, it's her also, because she is, she has pushed me to do things that I, I don't know that I would have done on my own, but, uh, yeah, Miss Dodd's definitely awesome. You, you got a great partner there. Thank you. Thank you. What a what a great way to sum up uh, your your story and and great ending to the main part of the interview and I want to thank you for that Johnny D it's uh, you, again it's always a pleasure to chat with you but uh, your your unique and wide view of our sport is definitely a story that needed telling and and we needed to discuss a lot of different things here and we have but you know they, these interviews don't don't end this way. They end in a little segment we call rapid fire and rapid so, fire. So, 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 so we're not descending quickly. We're just going to go on a slope. <laughs> yeah. We, we ain't even got the landing gear out just yet, but we're close. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, but rapid fire, although we got to know you pretty well in that, in the meat of this interview, rapid fire is going to help us really get to know you. So if you're up for that. Right. I got seven questions. That's kind of, some of them is two part. So it may be eight or nine actually, but if you're up for that, then, then here we go. Yeah. Well, Let's go. Since you've done both at an extremely high level over your career, I felt like this question needed to be asked. Would you rather take pictures of a race car or drive a race car? Drive a race car. Okay. I thought that's what you'd say, but just wanted to make sure. I, I, I enjoyed taking pictures of cars, obviously. That's my job. You know, yes, that's, you do. But, uh, but driving a I, I I think I said this earlier, you know, I would, I would really like to be, if the finances were right, I would get in a, in a car in a heartbreak, uh, in a heart, in a minute. Yeah. Well, and it might, uh, and there might be some heartbreak to it too. <laughs> Usually is for me. 
Uh, and and by the way, I, I wasn't sure that you'd say that because you are passionate about your pictures. Uh, anybody that's watched you at the track, the angles that you take, the, you know, getting down on your knees on the hot asphalt and getting that shot coming out of the water box and this and that. I mean, you you really do put your heart and soul into that work as well, and that's uh, appreciated from a racer standpoint. Thank you. Um, I don't know that you get to do this. You might not have done this in decades. I really don't know, but favorite place to vacation? Florida. I don't get to do it that often, but, uh, we moved to Pennsylvania in 03 or whatever. And, and I'm not one to say I should have done this or I should have done that. But when we moved from New, from New Jersey to Pennsylvania, we should have went to Florida. (laughs) My wife and I, my wife and I both love the weather down there and it's just, you know, I don't know. It's just Florida, Florida. So when I put on a race that you're working at, or if I'm at a race you're working at, like in the morning when I stumble out of the motor home and I, I usually get on up and get going, you're, you're kind of out there already doing your thing. And then when it's all over with, I go to bed and about 10 or 15 minutes after I lay down, the phone dings with an email and it's you doing your race recap. So I don't know if that's just at the races, but I got to know first, what time do you get up in the morning? Five or six. Five or six. Okay. And what time my do father, you get my, my, fa- my father always would get up five or six o'clock in the morning. And I used to say, Dad, why why are you getting up so? What are you doing, you know? And I don't know whether he ever gave me the straight answer or whatever, but I find myself now doing the same thing. And you go to bed at night at? Um, I mean, on a typical night when I'm home, uh, I'm in bed 11, 12. I'm a six-hour sleeper. It seems like anyway, if I go to bed at 10, I'm up at four. If I go to bed at midnight, I'm up at six. I don't, I don't ever, there's very few times where I will ever use an alarm clock. Um, Maybe if, maybe if I know I I have to get on an airplane first thing in the morning, I'll set two alarm clocks so that that I know that one of them will at least get me up. But I'm usually up way before the alarm clock goes off anyway, which bugs the living hell out of me, but that's beside the point. <laughs> well, well, if you're, if you're at a race, if you're at an NHRA event, you know, the, the, if you're staying in your toter home in the pits, you know, the stalkers are going to have you up about five fifteen anyway. So <laughs> no, no point in setting the clock. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, Johnny D if you have one, what is your dream car? one that wins races. <laughs> I, I just, I, I've never, my wife has gotten hooked on some of the cars that we've had. I don't typically do that. I, I, I pretty much look at them as a tool, a tool to get the job done. And, and I think, as I said to you, my, my favorite car is one that I could turn wind lights on with. Yeah, I would have to say I'm going to have to side with Dot there. I do fall in love with my cars, and they're hard to get rid of. So I think she's we right. Had, we, had the, we had the Puerto Rican Dream Vega that I won a lot of super gas races with back in the 80s and 90s, and, and she absolutely fell in love with that car. And, and I think she was really heartbreaking, heartbroken when we sold it. Um, 
but I don't know. I just, I don't, I probably needed the money. It's what it it amounted (laughs) to. That's the reason why it went. Did it say that on the side, the Puerto Rican dream? Uh, Puerto Rican dream was a, what a great car that really was. Um, uh, Yeah. I don't know if you know the whole story behind it, but I had a partner who was a Puerto Rican and, uh, he painted the car and my, we were sitting at dinner one night and he said, I, it was painted bright yellow, taxi cab yellow. And I mean, this thing stood out like a sore thumb <laughs> and he was sitting there one night and, and we were at dinner and, and he said, I, I want to put a name on the side of the car, but I don't know what I want to put on. And, and my wife looked at him and she said, Gilbert, that thing looks like a real Puerto Rican dream. And he goes, that's it. And that's how the name <laughs> went on the car. Holy cow, that should have made our list on the podcast of, of great race car names. <laughs> Puerto Rican Dream? You kidding? Oh, it, it was it was a great and then and then on the front we had Glenn Weisenberger, who's a great letterer. He came down, he lettered the whole car up for us. And on the front we had the typical Chevrolet type cross flags. And one of the flags was the Italian flag, which is mine, and then the other flag was the Puerto Rican flag, so <laughs> That's quite a mix. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, because I asked this question this way because I think that uh, on track, you might have a, a special place to you, and there might be a special place that offers the kind of setting that you like taking pictures in. So what is your favorite venue for actual racing, you going down the racetrack? What is that? Um. I mean, I think it gets back, this might sound redundant, but I think it gets back to one that I've won a lot at. I've I've done a lot of winning at Norwalk. I've won three national events at Norwalk itself. Um, well, oh, it's yeah. Why wouldn't that be your favorite? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a great racetrack, you know, but uh, I, I guess for racing, that would probably be my favorite racetrack for taking pictures. Um Probably Pomona and Las Vegas. The light out there is just absolutely so much different than anything we see on the East Coast. Uh, it, it just the sky has a different tint to it. I don't know what it is or what does it, but for taking pictures, those are the two. And and probably Las Vegas more so than Pomona. Okay, well that's why I asked because I knew there was you guys that take pictures. There's there's always that something to it, that little extra something you're looking for. Obviously, Vegas and Pomona provides that for you. So those are the kind of things I need to know. So, John D., I don't know that you get to watch a lot of movies. Maybe you and Miss Dot have a every Friday night date or something. But what what's your favorite movie? The Godfather. Oh, makes sense. I should have known that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I love comedy. I, I just, you know, it's. I, I saw on TV today that it's the 25th anniversary of the Happy Gilmore, you know, movie, and we just we just like to like to laugh and have fun. That's all. Yeah, who doesn't? And lastly, uh, and I don't know that you're a music buff, but something tells me you're like everybody else, and you got at least a favorite song. Uh, that's a good question. Do I have a favorite? Yeah, Rocky. Any of the Rocky songs from the Rocky album. <laughs> okay, awesome. So that that one just does it for you. Just gets you fired yeah, up. Yep. Yeah. 
Yep. Good stuff. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. I mean, the Godfather movies, the Godfather music is, is pretty good. I've got a, or I used to have a CD of it. We don't even have CDs anymore. Everything's on a computer, but, uh, or on your phone. But I mean, uh, that's a little more of a slow laid back type of music. Whereas the Rocky stuff is got to get up for it. Ah, I love it. Couldn't agree more. All right, that wraps up Rapid Fire, John D. I feel like I know you just a little bit better, which helps me, and I'm sure the listeners feel the same way. And, again, I uh, just want to say thank you for coming on tonight and sharing your uh, your view of Sportsman Drag Racing with us and what a great view it is. And on behalf of the listener and all the racers and, and people that, that you have touched in your long and illustrious career, I just want to say thank you for the work you do within our sport. It's uh, sometimes probably undervalued, but uh, I know that it's something that has really helped our sport. And, you know, the the coverage that you've had of it has been something that's been a benefit to individuals, events, and certainly, um, you know, sanctions. So um, we really appreciate all you do for, for sportsman drag racing, and it's a lot. Well, thank you very much. I, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm humbled to hear you say the things that you've said. Um, I'm, I'm humbled to be able to to talk to people like yourself and Luke and you know others in the sport and and, and even some of the the professional drivers that I that I uh, made some friendships with. Uh, I, I just I'm I'm very humbled. I really am. But I, I appreciate you you reaching out, and I like talking drag racing. So, well, you're pretty darn good at it too, John D. Again, to the listener, if you'd like to get uh, on John's distribution list for his blog, email John D at drcraceproducts.com. Uh, Johnny D, I'm sure we'll see you out and about at the races again this year, doing your thing on track and off, and uh, look forward to our paths crossing whenever they do. And uh, again, thank you for spending some time with us tonight. Much appreciated. Well, again, thank you. And, and thank Luke. And, and it, it's just, as I said, I, I can't repeat it enough. It's, it's humbling. I enjoy it, but thank you. Yes, sir. Have a great night, my friend. Same to you. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance.
Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.